Amen. Hey, that's right. We are once again in our topic of world religions, cults, and the occult, and we are on number seven topic, and it rhymes with Roman Catholicism. That's right. It's where we're at. And just by way of recap, before I get rid of the board, because we've got a lot to cover, we've already seen so far on our study on Roman Catholicism. Hello. I didn't say it to the facts do. They are a pseudo-Christian cult. They are not the same thing as Christianity. That was established week one. Week two, they're also a cult. They are a cult described in two different ways, the secular definition as well as the biblical definition I didn't say that. Again, the facts did. Then last week we saw they are also demonic, i.e. devilish. Why? Because John chapter 8, when Jesus, who is the truth and the way and the life, when he was sharing the truth, what was the reaction of those who believed in falsehood? They wanted to murder him. They wanted to kill him. And so this demonic attitude is still the same thing, believe it or not, with the Catholic Church. You can't just walk away and say, oh, okay, guess so. They want to murder you just like back in, we see in the Gospels. And we see that last week with the Inquisitions, okay? And by the way, it's still in effect today. This is basically the version of the Catholic murder, slaughter, or who's really been the jihad longer, right? Based on what they've been doing. Okay, a lot longer than the Muslims. We saw that with the, the different inquisitions throughout history. We got the medieval, the Spanish, the Portuguese, the Roman one, which they say is technically the last one, but that's not true. And that was the one that was primarily directed towards us Protestants during the Reformation period. But as we saw and we uncovered the facts, it's still in effect today. They just changed the terminology. It's called the universal or ongoing inquisition. It's called the holy office is what they use this with. And they've just changed the terminology. The, t- the term today for the ongoing inquisition against you and I, the Protestant, is called the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. And again, it is still in effect today. They still have, ultimately, this demonic, devilish, I'm going to murder people who do not go along with my version of the truth. It is not just a pseudo-Christian group. It's not just a cult. It is demonic. It is murderous, full of lies, etc., etc. Now, the point I want to get to the next, hopefully, two weeks, and then maybe back to the workbook, okay... (laughs) Okay, but I want to get okay. So where, where is all this leading? Where, why, how, all that good stuff? Where is it? What, what's, what's it all about? Well, believe it or not, I believe that all this is leading to, okay, a surgence of Revelation 17, and you're dealing with the woman or the harlot who rides the beast. Okay, and let's take a look who in the world this woman might very well be. But let's take a look at that. Open your Bibles to Revelation 17 as you do. It's time to get rid of the board. Shh. Bobby, you got to get rid of the board music going? All right, open your Bibles. Revelation 17, let's read the whole chapter there. The woman who rides the beast. The beast is defined as the Antichrist. Who and what is this woman? Now, as you turn there, the woman, of course, clearly represents, I don't know that anybody really disagrees on this aspect, uh, the one world religious system that's going to come on the planet in the last days. Okay, And she's going to work with, she rides the beast, Okay, initially, until she is destroyed by the beast during the bold judgments towards the end of the seven-year tribulation. But uh, who is this woman? What are the characteristics? And do we see anybody lining up to this today? Revelation 17, let's take a look at this harlot. The woman that rides the beast. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, and I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute, okay, who sits on many waters. With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Man, people just got caught up. Ooh, I mean, this is great. This is awesome. Everybody's doing it, right? Okay, now, then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a desert. There I saw a woman riding a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in what? Purple and scarlet, and was glittering with what? 
gold, precious stones and pearls, and she held a what? Golden cup in her hand, filled with the abominable things of the filth of her adulteries. The title was written on her forehead, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. And I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. And when I saw her, I was greatly astonished. Uh, then the angel said to me, Why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and of the beast she rides, uh, which has seven heads and ten horns. The beast, which you saw, the Antichrist, once was, now is not, and will come up out of the abyss and go to his destruction. The inhabitants of the earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation world, will be astonished when they see the beast, because he once was, now is not, and yet will come. This calls for the mind of wisdom. The seven heads are seven what? Hills on which the woman what? She sits on those seven hills, and there are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other is not yet to come. But when he d uh, does come, he must remain for a little while. The beast, who once was and now is not, is an eighth king. He belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. The ten horns you saw are the ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. They have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. They will make war against the lamb, but the lamb will overcome them. Why? I like this. Chrome translation. Hello, he's Jesus. <laughs> because he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings. And with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. You and I coming back. Uh, at the end of the seven-year tribulation with Jesus at Revelation 19. Then the angel said to me, The waters you saw where the prostitute sits, okay, are peoples, multitude, nations, and languages. So over the whole world. The beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Why? For God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to give the beast their power to rule until God's word are fulfilled. The woman you saw is the great what? City, and what's that city do? It rules over the kings of the earth. Okay? So Revelation 17, here we see that in the last days, you're going to see during the seven-year tribulation, it's going to culminate a one-world religion system that is going to be considered, obviously, an abomination to God. Why? Because it is spiritual adultery. It is fornication. And when the Scripture uses that, it talks about going astray, following idols, and uh, false religious belief systems, okay? And it's going to work and seduce with people around the world to be a part of this system, and they're going to be intoxicated with it. Man, this is great. Everybody's doing it. And this one-world religious system, this harlot, is going to be working with the Antichrist system, the one-world government system that ultimately will be split up into ten, ten chunks. Those ten chunks are going to give their power over to the beast. He'll have full control over the system at one point, okay? And it says there... Uh, it's not just something that you can opt in. Apparently, it's going to get so bad that if you don't like this, either one world religion or one world government, we see this also in Revelation 13, you don't take the mark of the beast of this antichrist and false prophet, you will die. Okay, you need to worship him. They want you there. It says, I think, four different times in Revelation 13. But also, this one world religion, you don't go along with it. She is what? She is drunk with the blood of saints. They will come and they will kill you. Now, how many guys would say that's not a good time you want to be a part of? You know, that's a time frame you definitely want to avoid. The good news is you can through Jesus Christ. Okay, but this is what is coming to our planet, written down nearly 2,000 years ago. Now, I see five different things that need to happen if this chapter is going to be fulfilled. I'm hoping to make it through the first two tonight. Lord willing, next week we'll get into the final three. Number one, you need a religious figure who's drawing together all the world's religions. Right? You need, who's, who's playing the role of this harlot? Who's the entity? 
right? Who's also the entity with a false prophet, a specific person. But who is, in general, this religious system, okay, uh, on the planet? Number two, you need some sort of a pluralistic movement, I believe, okay, that is seducing people to go along with and embrace this one world religion, okay, system. Because it says, and they're just intoxicated with this lady, this, this harlot, this, this system. Whoa, just, so you got to see people starting to warm up to it, right? Number three, you need some sort of a woman or female figure representative in some form or fashion in this uh, one world religion system. Number four, you need an antichrist figure to work with. And number five, you need a global authority system to punish those who don't do what you want to say. Now, would that be a fair synopsis? Those five things right, in our passage, okay? Now, let's start with the first one, the religious figure. The religious figure. I wonder what religious figure who's involved with a religious entity on the planet, that just happens to be a city as well, who also works with the governments around the world and frankly views themselves as in control of them all, even to this day, I wonder who that could be, right? I don't know. I like what one guy said this. He said, hey, if the Pope is not the false prophet, he's working real hard to get the job, right? <laughs> he's like, okay, right? But, uh, but do we see any signs? Of, oh, let's just, just put it to the test, right? Everybody's always saying, oh, it's always the Pope, it's the Catholic Church. They're always going. Right, well, do we see any signs of this guy being a part of this abomination, this harlotry, this drawing together of the world's religions all into one? Well, folks, the Catholic Church has been doing this for a long time. They want to control all the religions on the planet, and they want to control the governments. They want what they had lost at the Reformation, as we saw before. But let's take a look at the Pope's doing this behavior. Let's take a look. Evidence number one. Let's take a look. John Paul II has gathered leaders of the world's major religions a number of times and embraced them all as worshipers of the true God, including Hindus, Buddhists, Muslims, animists, Shintoists, shamans, witches, and others. He told Hindu audiences in India that he had not come to teach them anything but to learn from their rich spiritual heritage to which the entire world ought to give heed. Everyone is embraced by Rome, except evangelical Christians, whom the Pope calls sects and warns Catholics against their errors as he did in Mexico City in May 1990 and elsewhere since that time. One need only read the quote, ecumenical, unquote, documents coming out of the Vatican from the Pope and Cardinals, such as Cardinal Cassidy, President of the Pontifical Council for Promoting Christian Unity, and Cardinal Orenze, President of the Pontifical Council for Interreligious Dialogue, to realize that by ecumenism, Rome means all religions uniting under the Pope. <laughs> this was clear in the general report of Cardinal Lorenzi to the extraordinary consistory of cardinals at the Vatican in April 1991, as it is in Lorenzi's new book, Religions for Peace. The deception is such that the Lutheran World Federation signed with the Vatican a declaration saying that Lutherans and Catholics were now in agreement and basically renouncing the Reformation. <laughs> Yet nothing in Catholicism's false gospel of works and rituals has changed. The prophesied world religion is in the process of being formed before our eyes, and the Vatican is the headquarters of the movement. Is this not spiritual fornication? 
So the woman, the harlot, commits spiritual fornication in the last days, draws all the world's religions apparently together into one. They're intoxicated with it. But uh, what's that? I don't know. But, but you might be thinking, well, that's the old guy, right? That's Pope John Paul II. That's, that's two popes removed, you know. I'm sure this new guy, he's not doing it. Yeah, it's called sarcasm for the emphasis. Uh, pope Francis, right now, the Pope uh, Francis and the Vatican, uh, and he's not the only one. They've been doing this for decades. They're vying control over Jerusalem and the Temple Mount. Why? Because a lot of people are saying that what they want to do there in Jerusalem is they want to build a universal temple that all the world could worship at. Okay? Uh, is one thing. He's also making all kinds of trips over there to Israel uh, in the Middle East. I'm not going to show those videos. We've seen those before where he is actually working and praying with Jews and Muslims and Eastern Orthodox and saying we're all ones, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. He's also making it really easy for anybody to be a part of this new harlot system, this one world religion system, even making statements where he says that <clears throat> you can be an atheist, you can be a homosexual, non-repentant, you don't have to repent of nothing. Just as long as you become a Catholic, uh, you can be a part of this system. Is that what the Bible says? Absolutely not. Let's quickly take a look at that text. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such what were some of you? Now, does that mean if a person was an atheist but they accepted Christ, they're doomed? It doesn't matter, you're doomed once you ever become an atheist, you're cut off. No, you can repent and you can get right with God, right? Does that mean a person who's involved in homosexuality, that's the unpardonable sin, they can never become saved? No, they can repent of that. Uh, like, you know, notice he didn't just say homosexuality, he said liars and thieves and, you know, hello, right? So that's not, that's not the point. But it says there were some of you, such were some of you. And that's not what the Pope is saying. He says you don't need to repent, you don't need to change, you don't need to acknowledge nothing, you can even be an atheist and not acknowledge anything. As long as you're part of the Catholic Church, you can be a part of this one world religion. But such were some of you. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. He also goes on to say, this is Pope Francis. This is the current guy, not the old guy, not Pope John Paul II. He said it's dangerous for you and I and anybody on the planet to, quote, think that you can go to heaven apart from the Catholic Church. Speaking to a crowd of 33,000 people, and I quote, he said, there is no such thing as do-it-yourself Christians or free agents. Quote, it is a dangerous temptation to believe that one can have a personal, direct, immediate relationship with Jesus Christ without communion and mediation with the Catholic Church. Is that true? Folks, that ain't the gospel. Right? How do you get around that one? Okay, but that's what he's going around saying. So uh, on the one hand, you say anybody can come as long as you become a Catholic, atheist, non-repentant, uh, homosexual, on and on it goes. Nobody needs to repent of any kind of sin. Just, be, just become a Catholic. And, uh, but on the other hand, uh, you can't go straight through Jesus Christ. But this is that seduction, folks, that's going on all over the place. Okay? Now, lest you think that this is really what he's not up to, corralling all the world's religions. They've been building on this for decades, folks, with continual popes. This guy is in turbo mode. He's making what Pope John Paul II did look like child's play. Now, I'm going to show you two video clips back-to-back. -back. One is when he came over here not that long ago to America, and he was treated like a pop star. Okay? Uh, he went to 9-11 to Ground Zero. Now, instead of just going there and saying, hey, this was a horrible event and, and saying some Catholic prayers, which I'm not necessarily even promoting that either, but he used that as a springboard to all religions need to come together as one because of these atrocities. 
blah, blah, blah. I'll see that in a second. And the second one, as we've seen before, is their version. They just pumped this out this year, I think a few months back, uh, from their, the Catholic TV state. This is their commercial. So I'm not making this up. You tell me if they're not a part of this one world religion harlot system, just make sure that they're at the top, right, governing the whole thing. But let's take a look at that evidence too. Gather today in this hallowed ground, the scene, the scene of unspeakable violence and pain. Ababatu, Sahanao Bunaktu, Sahabiriam Karavahi. May God protect us. May God nourish us. May we work together. Namo Buddhaya Jayang Verang Pasavati Victory begets enmity. The, de the defeated dwell in pain. Nake Sade Pestum Satchon Ore Sabko That truth is above everything and the highest deed is truthful living. Makari Iptohito Pnevmati Otiaftonestin for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Grant us to live with the salutation of peace and lead us to your abode of peace. La mayor parte de los habitantes del planeta se declaran creyentes. Esto debería provocar un diálogo entre las religiones. No debemos dejar de orar por él y colaborar con quienes piensan distinto. Confío en Buda. Creo en Dios. Creo en Jesucristo. Creo en Dios. Alá. Muchos piensan distinto, sienten distinto. Buscan a Dios o encuentran a Dios de diversa manera. En esta multitud, en este abanico de religiones, hay una sola certeza que tenemos para todos. Todos somos hijos de Dios. Creo en el amor. Creo en el amor. Creo en el amor. Creo en el amor. Confío en vos para difundir mi petición de este mes. Que el diálogo sincero entre hombres y mujeres de diversas religiones conlleve frutos de paz y justicia. Confío en tu oración. Wow, I'll say it again. If the Pope's not the false prophet, he's working real hard to get the job. Folks, this, this, it's right out there for anybody to see. 2,000 years ago, some entity is going to get on the planet. Some specific entity that's in a city, we'll get into more details in a second. And they're going to crowd the world. The world's going to become intoxicated with it. Oh, it's just awesome. And it's spiritual fornication. 
It's a harlot. It's a one-world religious system. Now, let's take a look at some further proof that I want to begin to tear down that part. Remember, again, she, she commits spiritual fornication, right? Again, that's what's uh, uh, typically when you... I don't have time to go into it too deep, but in the Scripture, Old Testament, uh, when God talks about harlotry, when he talks about adultery, when he talks about spiritual fornication, he's talking about lusting after going after other false religions than him, specifically also linked with idolatry, okay? Does anybody link with idolatry? In fact, to the point where they are, their version of the Ten Commandments, they rip out the second commandment, which is, you shall have no idols. Right? So that certainly fits the context. They're going after uh, the same kind of spiritual fornication. Number two, it said it was a city on seven hills. City on seven hills. Remember that in the text? I brought that out. Uh, guess what is historically being called the city on seven hills? Rome. Where is the Vatican located? Rome. Let me name for you historically those seven hills uh, of, of Rome. Uh, Aventine Hill, the Caelian Hill, the Capitoline Hill, the Esquiline Hill, Palatine Hill, Quirinial, and the Viminal Hill. Okay. In fact, if you don't want to uh, believe that, listen to this. This is a direct quote from the Catholic Encyclopedia, which states, It is within the city of Rome, called the City of Seven Hills, that the entire area of Vatican State proper is now confined. So she's in a city, she's in a city on seven hills, and she's controlling the kings of the earth. Start to sound familiar? We'll keep going. Babylon. Mystery Babylon. Babylon the Great. Babylon, when you take a look at the Old Testament, certainly a lot of people after the Tower of Babel, and that's where you see, once again, even after the flood, you think it get people's attention, right? To worship God, do what he says. Uh uh-uh. uh. These people went into idolatry. Babylon, historically, biblically, has been the source of the harlotry, the abomination, the spiritual fornication, different multiple religions. Now, the problem is this also. Uh, that's exactly what you see with the Catholic Church, that they have latched themselves onto that same mindset. In fact, what's interesting, if you look in the New Testament, Babylon, people say, well, it must be talking about the real, literal Babylon. I don't necessarily buy into that. I think that you're talking about a spiritual Babylon. And for a proof text, just one, uh, 1 Peter 5.13 in the New Testament, it says this, Peter writing in the book of 1 Peter, that's why it's called Peter, okay, uh, writing there, he says this, she, speaking of the church there, okay, uh, she who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Where was First Peter written? Rome. So Rome, he, Peter, in the New Testament, is equating Rome again with Babylon, spiritual Babylon, okay? Also says she's in bed with the world's rulers and reigns over the kings of the earth, right? We saw that clearly in the text. Is that what the popes, is that what the Catholic Church is up to? Yes, and let me share some of that proof with you. Not only do the popes call themselves the vicar of Christ, but the Vatican is obsessed with earthly enterprise, as history proves. The popes have built an unrivaled worldwide empire of property, wealth, and influence, and nor is that abandoned Okay, today. They're still doing it today. Vatican II clearly stated that the Roman Catholic Church today still ceaselessly seeks to bring under its control, listen, all mankind and their goods. Okay, that's from Vatican II. Okay, that was in what, 1965 or wrapped up? Okay, that's, that's all mankind belongs to them and their goods. Now, what's interesting is the next chapter, Revelation 18, is the destruction of all her wealth and goods and things of that nature. 17 is the destruction, the spiritual destruction. 18 is the material destruction. And this is what these people do. They're not only involved spiritually in this harlotry, but they believe that they own all the goods from people as well. Popes have long claimed dominion over the world and its peoples. Pope Gregory the 11th, Papal Bull of 1372, claimed papal dominion over the entire world. 
secular and religious, and excommunicated all who failed to obey the popes and to pay them taxes. It was confirmed by subsequent popes. 1568, Pope Pius V swore that this was to remain an eternal law with the Roman Catholic Church, that they will forever be in charge, listen, of the planet, of all kings, all rulers, and their goods. They still believe this today. It is an eternal law. Popes crowned and disposed kings and emperors exacting obedience, threatening them with excommunication. Again, as we saw last two times, this is a lot of the reason why some of the Protestant reformers, like Martin Luther and others, were whisked away, not necessarily because the kings in that area were so convinced of the gospel, it's because they saw a way out of this stranglehold from the Catholic Church. Okay? Now, continue on. Then, uh, at the time of the first council, Vatican Council, 1869, they warned that, quote, they would make an infallible dogma that they could, quote, force kings and magistrates by excommunication and its consequences to carry out their sentences of confiscation, imprisonment, and death. So again, they believe they have the authority. If they want somebody to die, you don't do what we say. We have the authority on the whole planet to take you out. This is their own writing, their own rulings. One 19, uh, 18th century historian counted 95 popes who claimed to have divine power to depose kings and emperors. Now, why am I saying this? Because, again, she's in bed with the world's ruler. She is in charge, this woman, on the Seven Hills, this city, Vatican City, what, in Rome, is in charge of the kings of the earth. And this is what they believe. Historian Walter James wrote, Pope Innocent III, quote, held all Europe in his net. Gregory IX thundered that the Pope was, quote, Lord and master over everyone and everything. Wow. Another historian said, during the whole medieval period, there was in Rome a single spiritual and temporal authority, the papacy, exercising powers which in the end exceeded those that had ever lain within the grasp of a Roman emperor. Notice again, they're not just called the Catholic Church, it's the Roman Catholic Church. And they came out of Constantine, the Roman emperor, when things began to blend together, which began to ruin the church, birthed the Roman Catholic Church, but they still have that same mindset as the Caesars, the Roman Caesars, the Roman Catholic Church is in charge over the whole planet. The Vatican City is the only city which also exchanges ambassadors with nations, and she does so with every major country on the planet. And ambassadors come to Vatican City from every major country, including the United States, not out of courtesy, but because, quote, the Pope is the most powerful ruler on earth today. Uh, Bill Clinton, just one example, uh, when he went to go greet the Pope, he addressed him, quote, as Holy Father, Holy Father and Your Holiness. Excuse me? Crazy stuff. Unlike any other city on the earth, the Vatican is acknowledged as a sovereign state in its own right, separate and distinct from the nation of Italy surrounding it. It's its own entity, smack dab in Rome. There's no other city in history that it's been true of such case, such is the case today. Only the Vatican is said to be a city reigning over the kings of the earth. There is no city upon earth, past or present, which meets all the criteria except Catholic Rome and Vatican City. Revelation 17, written 2,000 years ago. Now, let's talk about quickly about the clothing that was mentioned there in Revelation 17. Let's talk about the wealth all over the place mentioned there. And let's talk about uh, the cup, the golden cup, the abomination, the filth, right? The incredible wealth of this woman, John saw, she was dressed in purple and scarlet, Okay, she was decked with gold and precious stones and pearls. She had a golden cup in her hand full of abominations, filthiness of her uh, uh, fornication. Now, the colors purple and scarlet 
was the same colors that were used of the Roman Caesars in which the soldiers mockingly robed Jesus Christ as king. Remember that? In the Gospels, uh, prior to, just prior to the crucifixion, Matthew 27, John 19. Now, the challenge is, guess what? That's the Roman emperors. Guess who took that upon themselves when they took over from Constantine? The Roman Catholic Church. The women's colors, scarlet and purple, are the same colors even to this day of the Catholic clergy. Right? Now, let me give you, I'm going to quote from the Catholic Encyclopedia. And I quote, the Caps Magna. Okay? This is a cloak with a long train and a hood and shoulder cape. It was purple wool for the bishops. For cardinals, it was scarlet uh, watered silk. Another one's called the Cassock or the Soutane. This is a close-fitting ankle-length uh, uh, robe worn by the Catholic clergy as their official garb. The color for bishops and other prelates is purple, and for cardinals, it's scarlet. They still wear it today. The golden cup. The golden cup in her hand, again, identifies with something that goes on with the Catholic Church, and I quote again from the Catholic Encyclopedia, declares that the chalice, quote, the golden chalice, oh, by the way, during their Eucharist, what are they holding up? Is that an abomination to God? When they say that that is the actual body and blood of Jesus Christ, that he is literally being sacrificed again and again and again and again every time they do the Eucharist with the cup and the wafer, that's an abomination. What's this cup filled with? The abomination, right? But listen to what they say about the golden cup, the golden chalice. Quote, it is, this is a Catholic encyclopedia, it is the most important of the sacred vessels. It may be of gold or silver, but if it's silver, it has to be surfaced with gold. Okay? So they're big on that as well. The Roman Catholic Church possesses many thousands of golden chalices uh, around the world. Now, let's talk about the wealth. Okay? Uh, Rome has practiced uh, evil to gather her wealth, the Catholic Church, uh, for this golden cup and the abominations. Much of the wealth of the Roman Catholic Church was acquired, guess when? During the Inquisitions. You know what she did? You didn't just go and get uh, into the dungeon. They took everything you had. And if anybody had wealth, they are always in fear of somebody. All they had to do was just say, you said something about the Pope, or you disagreed. You just had the suspicion. You're done, and they come and confiscate your stuff. Oh, it affected your family too. Let me get to that. Uh, even, listen to this. Even the dead were exhumed to face trial and property was taken from their heirs by the Roman Catholic Church. One historian writes, the punishments of the Inquisition did not cease when the victim was burned to ashes or imprisoned for life in the dungeons uh, in the Inquisition. His relatives were reduced to beggary by the Roman Catholic law and that all his possessions were forfeited. The system offered unlimited opportunities to loot and rip off and steal from anyone and would include kings. And No wonder they were wanting a way out of this stranglehold. Okay? This source of gain largely accounts for the revolting practice of also what was called corpse trials. The practice of confiscating the property of condemned heretics and, uh, and it produced all kinds of acts of extortion. No man was safe whose wealth might arouse suspicion um, or whose independence might provoke revenge, right? So you're always wondering, these guys are going to come and accuse you next, and it isn't just take you to a dungeon, torture you, and kill you, okay? But they rip you off. This is where they amass the wealth. That's number one with the Inquisition. Number two is indulgences. Remember we saw that with the first one, first study? Sure, Pastor Billy. Thanks, Bobby, for making me feel better. Okay, yeah, you got all these memorized, yeah. Uh, indulgences, right, that you pay your way to heaven. 
right? It's still going on today. Untold billions of dollars have been paid to Roman Catholic Church, Vatican City, for those who think that they're purchasing heaven on an installment plan, if you will, for themselves or for their loved ones, or to get their loved ones out of this fake place called purgatory. Uh, Listen to this. A cardinal uh, in the 16th century complained about the sale of indulgences and uh, the church hierarchy was indignant and accused him of, quote, listen, are you wanting to turn Rome into an uninhabited desert to reduce the papacy to impotence, to deprive the Pope of the resources indispensable for the discharge of his office? Can I tell you something? Are you trying to cut off our money supply? Wow. Okay. Now, in addition to that, remember, she's got great wealth. She ripped it off from people throughout the years in the Inquisitions and still raking in the dough because people thinking, man, this is how I get to heaven. I can pay my way there or pay my loved ones out of torture in the, uh, I guess you'd call it spiritual inquisition, okay, uh, in purgatory. But it says this, in addition to such perversions of the gospel, which has led millions and millions of people to hell, okay, there's further abominations of the Catholic Church, and this is all on record. Corrupt banking practices, laundering of drug money, trading in counterfeit securities, and dealings with the mafia. This is in police records. It's all documented, okay? In fact, listen, uh, a guy named Nino Law Bello, he's former Business Week correspondent in Rome, and Rome bureau chief for the New York Journal of Commerce, writes that the Vatican is, listen, so closely allied with the mafia in Italy that, quote, many people believe that Sicily is nothing more than a Vatican holding. Wow. So you got the Jesuits... To do your in the mafia. Wow, crazy. Wealthiest institution on the planet is what the Roman Catholic Church is. They have innumerable sculptures such as uh, sculptures such as the Masters of Michelangelo, paintings of the world's greatest uh, artists, countless other art treasures, ancient documents. Okay, and it's not just in the Vatican. Okay, it literally is in places, cathedrals all over the planet. Okay, there's no way to estimate their wealth. It's so vast. At a world synod of bishops in Rome, uh, one guy, listen to this, another cardinal, he proposed that the Roman Catholic Church sell some of these vast treasures and give the proceeds to the poor. Quote, his suggestion was not well received. <laughs> Have you ever seen the throne this guy sits on? It's like, melt that gold, baby. How, many, how much food could that supply the planet? You have so much wealth, they, I don't even know if they know how much they got. It's all over the planet, tucked away all over the place, right? There is no church, no city, uh, which a spiritual entity, no religious institution, past or present, that even comes close to possessing the wealth of the Roman Catholic Church. Now, let me give you, this is from an article, newspaper article. It's in uh, Lourdes, uh, France, okay? And uh, for years, it had been rumored that the, the Catholic Church there, just in this small area, one place, one place, not the Vatican, not any other cathedrals around the planet, but they had that priceless collection of gold chalices, diamond-studded crucifixes, silver, precious stones. And so the Catholic authorities let them take a sneak peek and listen to what they found. Floor to ceiling, floor to ceiling were cases and cases opened up revealing massive amounts of solid gold chalices along with rings and crucifixes, statues, heavy gold brooches, many encrusted with precious stones, uh, also hidden among the treasures was the crown of Notre Dame, okay, studded with diamonds. And just that crown, they said, and I quote, we have no idea it is of inestimable value. That's just one little crown. Okay, that's just one little crown 
of how many massive amounts of boxes of who know what else is in there, okay, in just one little small area. This is not the Vatican. This is not Vatican City. This is not all the cathedrals around the world. This is not all your other dealings with all kinds of other money deposits you're doing, apparently with the mafia and all kinds of other banking procedures. Wealth beyond imagination. Oh, and across the road is a building housing hundreds of antique ecclesiastical garments, robes, miters, and sashes. You say, so what? Well, they're made not just with fine cloth, but they're made with heavy gold thread. They got so much cash. Can you imagine sewing your clothes together with gold? Oh, and again, this is just one small, tiny location, one little piece in the park. So the treasure described is only a part of that which is kept in the one location. Drunk with the blood of the saints. Remember that was another thing that was mentioned there? John noticed she's drunk with the blood of the saints. And uh, uh, not with an alcoholic beverage, she's drunk with the blood of the saints. The picture is a horrible one. It's not merely her hands that are red with this blood. She's drunk with it. That means, listen, the slaughter of innocents who for conscience sake would not yield to her totalitarian demands so refreshed and exhilarated her that she reels in ecstasy. Over what? Over murdering people. Just woo, the blood. Of what? Of murdering people who disagree with you. Okay? Uh, one only thinks, of course, and has to think of only the Inquisitions. And listen to this. In the history of the Inquisition, we dealt with this a lot last week, it is estimated that in Spain alone, this is just Spain, no other else in the world, in Spain alone, it's estimated that the number of condemned exceeds 3 million. That's half the Jewish Holocaust. And that's just in Spain. Just during that time. What about the other countries? What about what's going on that we don't even know about? I would say it well far exceeds the Jewish Holocaust. Why is anybody talking about this? And how come the Pope aren't, isn't apologizing for this? Right? You got Obama going around the planet for eight years apologizing. I'm sorry, we're a Christian. You know, we're, what we, and you never apologize for this? Something worse than the Jewish Holocaust? And it's on record. And the same place, over 300,000 people burned at the stake. Not three, not 3,000, not 300, 300. 100,000 burned at the... Oh, and that's just in Spain, just in that one, that area. Okay. Another historian says, listen to this. Le- uh, the events leading up to the suppression of the uh, Spanish Inquisition in 1809. When Napoleon conquered Spain in 1808, a Polish officer in his army reported that the Dominicans in charge of the Inquisition blockaded themselves in their monastery in Madrid. When Napoleon's troops forced entry, the inquisitors denied existence of any of the torture chambers. Okay? Oh, but this was in 1808. That's 300 years after the Reformation. Remember, this isn't supposed to be going on anymore. Right? Listen, the soldiers searched the monastery and they discovered them underneath the floors. Listen to this. The chambers were full of prisoners, all naked, many insane. The French soldiers, hello, they're soldiers, they're used to cruelty, blood, horrific things, quote, they could not even stomach the sight, what they found. They emptied the torture chambers. They laid gunpowder to the monastery and blew the place up. Kind of reminds you what happened when World War II finally made it over there to Germany with the Americans, and you go into the Jewish camps, and they forced the people to go out and look. Folks, this happened, and this happened with the Roman Catholic Church. She is drunk with the blood of the saints, and it's still going on today. How come nobody's talking about it? To wring out confessions from these poor creatures, the Roman Catholic Church devised, as we saw again last time, ingenious, if you want to call it that word, torture techniques, so excruciating and barbarous that one is sickened by just even reciting them. That's how I felt last week. 
And I just shared with you the mild ones. Okay, I just had to stop. It got, man. Another, uh, another historian said that the most ghastly abomination of all was the system of torture. The accounts of its cold-blooded operations make one shudder at the capacity of human beings for cruelty. And it was decreed and regulated by the popes who claimed to represent Christ on earth. Abomination. Careful notes were taken not only of those who confessed, uh, that was confessed by the victim, but they even noted, careful notes, all their shrieks, all their cries, all their lamentations, broken interjections, and appeals for mercy. Oh, guess he's up to 18 now, shrieks. How, many, how sick is that? Could you even sit there and do that? Right? The remnants of some of the chambers of horror remain in Europe and still can be seen today. They stand as memorials to the zealous outworking of the Roman Catholic dogmas, which, quote, listen, quote, remains in force today. Whoa. And to claim their victims to be infallible uh, and, uh, and to this day uh, say they had the right to justify this barbarism. Uh, to these three million victims, and again, this is just in Spain, just in that one area, at that one time, should be added the thousands upon thousands and thousands of Jews deported from their homeland. In just one year alone, the Holy Office, remember that's their name for the Inquisition, which is still in effect today, uh, burned 2,000 persons and the bones and effigies of another 2,000 and another 16,000 were condemned, uh, condemned uh, to varying sentences. Peter de Rosa, he acknowledges that the Catholic Church was responsible for persecuting the Jews, for the Inquisition, for slaughtering heretics by the thousand, for reintroducing torture into Europe as a part of the judicial process. Now that's interesting. Because in Revelation, it also says that a lot of the people who don't go along with the system, their heads are chopped off. That's, that's kind of a gruesome technique, isn't it? I mean, surely there was nobody on the planet uh, who, who would not only arise and bring that back. Uh, it's already on the way back, by the way. Uh, but nobody would start to use that as an official form of punishment and just slaughter people and torture them and chop. I mean, it, it surely wouldn't. I mean, that wouldn't be a part of a judicial process again, would it? They're the ones who brought back the judicial torture uh, in Europe, the Catholic Church. Yet the Roman Catholic Church has never officially admitted that these practices were evil, nor has she apologized to the world or to any victims of their descendants. And I got I to say this for effect. And the news comes on, and they say this. And now for the Christian view. And they bring up a Catholic priest. Wow. Rome has not changed her heart no matter what, no matter what sweet words she speaks when it serves her purpose. And, as we saw last time, she is guilty of spilling more blood, the Roman Catholic Church, than pagan Rome. You know, you hear about all the time, we talk about that as Protestants, as Christians, all about the early church and what had been slaughtered, thrown to the lines, whatever. The Roman Catholic Church, way out by far, has beat that. But nobody wants to talk about that. Nobody talks about that. Why not? Let's take a look at that. Pagan Rome made sport of throwing uh, Christians to the lions, burning them, killing thousands of them, uh, also Jews. Yet Catholic Rome has slaughtered many more times uh, Christians and Jews than Rome ever did. 
Uh, besides the victims in the Inquisition, there were the slaughters of the Huguenots, the Albigenses, the Waldenses, and other Christians who were massacred, tortured, and burned by the stake by hundreds of thousands simply because they refused to align themselves with the Roman Catholic Church and its corruption and heretical dogmas and practices. Out of conscience, they tried to follow the teachings of Jesus Christ and the apostles, independent of Rome, and for that crime, they were maligned, hunted down, imprisoned, tortured, and murdered. That's our heritage. But who's guilty of it more than pagan Rome? The Roman Catholic Church. Why would Rome, why would the Pope, why would Vatican City never once apologize or even admit this holocaust? Another little piece of history. Maybe here's why. The Vatican also had dealings with Hitler. Did you know that? Hitler was guilty of what? A holocaust. Now let me read to you something very interesting. Uh, it was thoroughly known and is still to this day that Pope Pius XII uh, was completely silent during World War II and the atrocities of Hitler. Right? Now, had the Pope protested as, listen, the representatives of the Jewish organizations and the allied powers begged him to do, okay, he couldn't do it because he would have condemned the Catholic Church. Listen to this. 1936, Bishop Burning uh, uh, of Aschenbruck talked with the Fuhrer, Hitler, Adolf Hitler, for over an hour. Hitler assured that the bishop, the Catholic bishop, that there was, quote, no fundamental difference between national socialism, the Nazis, and the Catholic Church. And I quote, listen to this. This is from Hitler. He told the Catholic bishop, I am only doing what the Catholic Church has done for 1,500 years, only more effectively. The reason why the Roman Catholic Church has neither apologized nor repented of these crimes, the execution of so-called heretics, including the Jews themselves, not just Christians, was because they were decreed by infallible popes. The Catholic Church herself claims to be infallible, thus her doctrines could not be wrong. So they could not call Hitler out on the carpet for this horrible slaughter, because guess who was guilty of the same thing? And you can't admit you're wrong, because the core doctrine is, you are infallible. So you kept your mouth shut, and you let the atrocity continue. Now what's scary, is you try to talk about this, in the church, and they look at you, like you just grew another eyeball. Which me personally, I think that would come in handy. In certain events. But anyway, but they look at you weird, right? What are you trying to do? I mean, we're, I mean don't you know the Catholics are all the same thing as Christ? Listen, Protestants are not only not calling the Roman Catholic Church into account for this behavior. Where's the apology? Where's the ownership of this? But Protestants have now forgotten the hundreds of thousands of fellow Christians who were burned at the stake by the Roman Catholic Church for simply embracing the gospel of Jesus Christ and refusing to bow to this harlot, this harlot system. Amazingly, Protestants are now embracing Catholic Rome as Christian while she insists that her separated brethren, they look at you again, and they call us the Protestant experiment. We're just a small aberration, but we'll come back to the fold soon enough. And they, she is trying to reconcile us to her on her unchangeable terms. The only ones that are changing here are the Protestants 
It's not the Catholic Church. Listen, many evangelical leaders are intent upon working with Roman Catholics to, quote, evangelize the world. No, you're not. You're not evangelizing the world because they don't have the gospel. You're working together to build this one world global religion. They don't want to hear, listen, any negative reminders, the Protestants, of the millions of people tortured and slain by the Roman Catholic Church to which they now pay homage to or the fact that they have a false gospel, a sacramental false gospel of works. That's what's going on in the church today. But what that's leading to is the second sign, which unfortunately we'll have to get to next time, and then maybe the third and fourth and fifth, uh, it's leading to, why is the Protestant church doing this? The reformers must be rolling over in their graves because there's a seduction, there's an intoxication going on. Remember the word that was used in Revelation 17? They were caught up, the world, the people, the world. This, the, the intoxication of our adulterers is just like, whoa. And that is what's going on right now, even in the church. It's called pluralism, ecumenicalism, whatever you want to call it. But it's basically, can't we all get along we all believe the same. All we need to do is, what did the commercials say? Hey, I believe in Buddha. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in Allah. But I all, we all believe in love. We all just need to love and come together, right? That's a seduction. It's an intoxicating one, and the church has fallen for it. Next week, we're going to take a look at how the Protestant church is getting sucked up into that intoxicating lie, and they're backing up straight into the arms of Rome. And then we're going to deal with why she called a woman. And then we're going to deal with also, do we see any signs of an antichrist appearing on the scene as well as a global entity, global government entity, who can institute uh, the hammer to come down to order this? I, I, I got to say this, though, because I, I just at least end with this. It's a woman who rides the beast. It's a one-world religion system, harlot, that rides the beast, the Antichrist, the one world government system. So it's religion, global religion, global government. Do you guys know what's going to happen in about a week? I, couldn't, I just stumbled across this. You've got to be kidding me. The UN, you know, that's supposed to be controlling the governments around the world, the UN has a new leader. That new leader is a guy named Antonio Guerreras. He's from Portugal, he's a socialist. What, what was Hitler? So, he's a socialist. Also, he's been serving for many, many years as the international president of the socialists. He's the next UN leader. And you know what I happened to say about him? He happens to also be a Catholic. That's the next UN leader. So, do you think the government system is going to have a problem working with the religious system? Do you think they'll work together? What's Revelation say? The woman rides the beast. That happens next week. You know, it's almost like we're in the last days and we need to get motivated. Anybody come to that conclusion? Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. 
And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief, okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy, okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that, and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn, we, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it, and a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says 
we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a of death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a of death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.